Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Let's join Bishop Kevin J. Foreman. Take over. Take over. You are favored by God. Lift your Bibles high. Let's make our confessions of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. My mind is renewed and my spirit is prepared to receive the word which produces faith. And faith pleases God. I'm not just a hearer of the word, I'm a doer of the word. This word has given me life. Shout it out. I'll remain standing. If you would, go to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. And tonight, throughout the experience, you can, of course, tweet me to at Bishop Foreman tonight. Uh, or you can go at Harvest underscore CC tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Y'all all right? Hallelujah. 2 Samuel 11. We were here on this, com- on this past weekend, and uh, we talked about the eighth seed. Say the eighth seed. Now, say this to somebody. Tell them, say, you are the eighth seed. Look at somebody else. Tell them, you are the eighth seed. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look there at verse number 1. And when you have it, say, I have it. When you have it, say, I have it. It says this, it happened that in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Say, David was out of place. Now look at verse 2. Then it happened that one evening that David rose from his bed, and he walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof, Roof, he saw a woman bathing, and this woman was very beautiful uh, to behold. So he came up in the middle of the night, and he starts walking on his roof. My question is, what was he dreaming about that would make him get up and walk on the roof? I mean, he didn't go to the kitchen to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He didn't go have some Mrs. Phil cookies with a side of almond milk. He got up, and he started walking on the roof. Which, which tells me something here, that evidently whatever he was dreaming about, he was trying to escape it. 
You didn't hear what I just said. I said, I said he was trying to escape it. Look, look there, verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, talking about her customary impurity or her monthly menstrual cycle, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, David, I'm finna to have your baby. And, of course, I told you this weekend that this is like the perfect setup for an episode of Maury Povich or Jerry Springer. I mean, you know, they're together one time, and then she comes back the next day, David, we got to talk. And David's like, talk about what? I mean, I, I got to run the kingdom. I got, you know, we got a war going on right now. It's like going on. What do you need to talk about? I'm pregnant. Verse 14. Verse 14. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. So now we know who Uriah is, right? Uriah was the wife of, or the husband rather, of Bathsheba. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Say mighty men. He was one of David's mighty men. That means he was one of the guys that David trusted. He was a loyal and faithful and uh, uh, an honorable guy unto David. And so verse 14, he wrote, writes a letter and sends it by Uriah's hand. And here's what he writes in the letter, verse 15. Put him in the forefront of the hottest battle, then retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab uh, besieged the city that he was assigned, uh, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants with David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So y'all see what happened here? David set this man up to be murdered. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, which in this culture was 30 days, David sent for her and said, come on, girl, come on, live with me. And she became his wife and had him a son. But watch this. Look at this last part. But the thing that David did, say the thing. See, oftentimes people think that, that they, they mix up who they are with what they do in terms of what God loves. So oftentimes people think because God rejects something that they do, they also think that he rejects them. Because the neighbor say, you are accepted, although some of your actions may be rejected. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. Follow you, hear me, you always do. Speak now in this place, God. Give us a clear, crisp word that we can move and walk in those things that you have ordained. We declare that we are the eighth seed. Eight meaning new beginning. We are the brand new beginning in our bloodline. We declare that every generational seed of rejection and every curse and every dysfunction, we declare that it is broken in us. We are the brand new. I wish I had some faith in this place. We declare that poverty is broken with us. We declare that promiscuity is broken with us. We declare that lack is broken with us. We are the eighth seed. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout hallelujah. Just high-five somebody. You already know it. Just tell them you are the eighth seed. You are the eighth seed. You can be seated. I, I, I want to encourage you to purchase part one of the teachings so that you can be on the same page, whether you're here at the Aurora campus or watching uh, on the Internet campus, so you can be on the same page with where we're at. Uh, in part one, we discovered that the story in 2 Samuel 11 is quite intriguing because we find King David. This is the same King David who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. He is the promulgator of praise and prayer and worship. He sets this man, Uriah, up to be murdered because of his illicit relationship with Bathsheba. 
Bathsheba. I told you in part one that all of this happens for one reason and one reason only. You remember what that was? Rejection. Say it with me. Rejection. Now, we have all experienced rejection at some point or another from somebody that we wanted to accept us. Whether that's your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your pusher man, whoever it is. You, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Whatever it is, we've all experienced rejection. Look at somebody and tell them, even you. We have all experienced rejection. And the, and, and the great thing about rejection, uh, somebody says, well, what could be great about rejection? Is rejection has a way of showing you where you don't belong so you can get where you do belong. Uh, you didn't hear what I'm saying. Some of you are in this place today because other people rejected you. But you found out, I just don't fit there. I fit. Yeah, I wish I had somebody here. So rejection now, we see, is the root of what causes David to act in such a scandalous and lascivious way. Uh, David ends up being rejected in 1 Samuel 16. Matter of fact, I want you to flip there. Go to 1 Samuel 16 by his father, Jesse. So what I want to do is we're going to review a little bit of where we were this weekend, and then we're going to move into the new thing that God's ordained for us. 1 Samuel 16, David's rejected by his father, Jesse. Sometimes the, the, the greatest wounds are those inflicted by those that are closest to us. Because often the people that are closest to you know exactly how to wound you. See, it's one thing for somebody you don't know, they don't know anything about you, they don't know exactly what to say or how to say it in order to cause there to be pain. But there's something about those that are close to you that know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? They know exactly how to wound you. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be a word. Sometimes it can be a look. Sometimes it can be a disposition. Sometimes it can be an attitude. And so just David is rejected by his father, Jesse. So let's look at the story. First Samuel 16, go to verse 5. And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. This is Samuel, the man of God talking. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, this is interesting because in, in part one, I didn't go into detail. I want to go into detail tonight. Is that all right? Does your neighbor say he's going to go deeper tonight? Now, we see the man of God coming to the house, and he says, I'm coming to sacrifice. Get your sons, consecrate, set yourself apart, is what that means. He says, set yourself apart, you and your sons. Now, the fact that later on in the story, Jesse's saying none of these guys are the ones tells us that even when the man of God first showed up to the house, that David was never even thought of to be included. The, the scripture says that Samuel told him to sanctify yourself and your sons. Come with me to the sacrifice, and then we'll talk about what I'm, the reason I'm here for. But I want you to bring your sons with me. So none of the sons, uh, or excuse me, David is the only son that's left out from this time of setting apart a consecration. So the story really starts earlier than we even talked about in part one because the story starts out not just when the man of God is going through all the seven sons. The story starts when they begin praying. And when they begin praying, they don't even invite David in the time to pray. So just imagine now, because again, David knows what's going on, because when the man of God came to your house in those days, it was a big deal. And so David knows it's a big deal, because when the man of God would come to a city, he would get with the elders of the city. Everybody knew he was there. I mean, it was a big thing. It, it, it was a big deal. In those days, the man of God was, you know, kind of a big deal. And of course, the, truthfully, it should still be that way today. So when they came, so when he comes, Jesse doesn't even invite his son out to come pray with him. Now think about that. 
what was so wrong with David that he wasn't even included in the prayer? I mean, they're just praying. They're just setting themselves apart. Now, now, can we go another further? Look at verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's is anointed as before. So this is Jesse talking. Jesse's like, ah, this is the one. Eliab, I'm telling you, he looks like a king. He got king written all over, is written all over his face. He don't have to say a word. But look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. See, because oftentimes when people make premature acceptance, it's because they're doing it on something that appears to be a certain way. He says, do not look at his appearance, nor his physical stature. Because listen, while, while Jesse's hot about him, I refuse him. Notice the Lord didn't use the word reject to use the word refuse. In essence, what God was saying is my problem with Eliab is that there's something in Eliab's heart that ain't like me. You didn't hear what I said. And Eliab, is there's something in him that I'm refusing to even consider to allow him to sit on the throne. See, sometimes when people get overlooked, it's because God has to look and say, it's not that I reject you. I just got to refuse what's in you that's not okay. Okay, it's, it's quiet. Okay, okay. He, he, he says, he says, man looks, uh, uh, those of the Lord see as man sees, for man looks outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. Heart in Hebrew means mind. Verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. Now Jesse's like, you know, okay, well, I got another one. That's okay. You know, nobody's perfect. First one, we didn't make it, but let's bring the second guy up. Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, ain't none of them the one. See, that, that's even, let me help single people. Well, I don't know why this happened with this one. I don't know why. They ain't the one. And I don't know why this happened with this one. I don't know why this happened with this one. I don't know why this happened. God says, because I've refused them. Because they were able to charm you. But, ooh, baby, they ain't charming me. They were able to play you and twist you and manipulate me. Y'all ain't going to say nothing. But God says, I know that if I allow that. So you got to be glad when sometimes God even overrides what you want to do. Because there are times in your life where God says, I'm not even going to let you have your way. God says, sometimes I let you do what you want to do. But sometimes, anybody know what I'm talking about? Where God presses you against the wall and says, you ain't even getting to choose on this one. I don't care what you want. I don't care how you think you're going to do it. No. Sometimes the Lord has to see, some, see, see, see. See, when you come up in the south, sometimes, sometimes when you get out of order, sometimes they have to snatch you up. Anybody know about the snatch up anointing? I don't know if it made its way over to this side of the... So now some of you looking, that's okay, Denver. I want you to understand what a snatch-up is. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about a snatch-up. Now, a snatch-up is, is, is where one in a greater leadership capacity than you takes you like right here and snatches you up. See, it's a snatch-up. Sometimes the Lord has to snatch us up and say, what in the world are you doing? No way, Jose, it's not going down like that. I'm, not, I'm taking your options away. Because there are times where God will let us do what we want to do. And people say, well, if God didn't want it to happen, he'd stop it. That's not true. God says, you can do whatever you want to do. But there are certain times where God says, ah, no, no. 
No, I, I, I'm breaking the rules on this one. Anybody had God break his rules on you? I'm breaking the rules on this one. No, you're not getting that job. You're not moving to that city. You're not, no, no. Back to the regular schedule of teaching. And Samuel, verse 11, said to Jesse, are all these young men here? Are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains, in essence, by the way, whoops, the youngest, he's out there keeping the sheep. Now, when the scripture says, when Jesse calls him the youngest, maybe Jesse didn't bring him in just because he thought he was too young to be king, which is another form of rejection because it's rejection by underestimation. You, you ever thought you could do something but, but not be given the opportunity to do it? Now, sometimes, truthfully, you can do it. And sometimes, the truth is, you can't do it. You overestimated yourself. Just so we're clear about that, because I heard somebody, that's my word, Bishop. Now, I don't, why you won't let me preach? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Thank God for you. We love you. We love you. Look at this. There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. So there he is. So, so Jesse's pointing. So Jesse points and says, well, there he is over there keeping the sheep. In essence, can you just look at him from in here and tell me if he's going to work or not? Because I really don't want to go out there and get him. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder what the dynamic of their relationship was. He didn't even call him to the house. He's like, there he is. Can you just, you know, he over there. Nothing special. He's just taking care of some sheep. While his father did not see the king in him. His heavenly father saw the king in him. And his man of God saw the king in him. I wish I had a church in here. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And Samuel said to Jesse, all the young men here, he said, there remains the youngest and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, so look, he has to tell him, well, bring him in. I'm not sitting down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy. Uh, ruddy there just means he, he kind of had a red appearance to him. He, he had bright eyes, and he was good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. This is the one. God accepted him. His father didn't even recognize what was in him. You, you didn't hear what I just said. Now, did David know there was a king on the inside of him? No. But God knew there was a king on the inside of him. And his man of God knew that there was a king on the inside of him. So look what happens. So he brought him in, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst or right in the middle of his brothers. Now, now, now here's the thing about it. All seven of these brothers, remember the way I illustrated it for you. They were getting ready. The man, the man of God's coming. Man, what you wearing? Man, man, I'm going to wear my snakeskin boots. With my, man, I got that new tie. Man, I got that new Louis wallet. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to put it. You know what I mean? They, they were getting ready. You know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden, they do all of that for the man of God to say, no, nah, no, nah, not going to work. Nah, next. For David to come in. Watch this. David was out with the sheep, so he's stinking. He's dirty. Oh, my God. He don't look like he's got any right to be on the inside of the house. 
But God says, oh, I looked past your physical appearance. And I looked beyond, can I say it like this, your faults. And I'm seeing that there's a king on the inside of you. You don't look like it. You don't smell like it. And right now, you don't even act like it. But there's a king on the inside of you. Touch your neighbor and say, you're the HC. Tell them. They look like they should be in charge of something. And God passes all of them up. And say, I'm going to pick the one that don't look like he got no business doing it. See, God never always calls the qualified. He just qualifies those that he calls. Which means you may not be everything you're supposed to be right now. But baby, if you keep on walking, and if you keep on being faithful, and if you keep trusting God, I'm here to tell you, before it's said and done, there's going to be a king in you. And hear me, God's going to do it right in front of everybody else that said you never do nothing and never be nothing and you never go nowhere. And how you going to live without me? God will put you right in front of them and say, watch me now. So look, we will all experience some type of rejection. But mismanaged rejection is the source of unnecessary failure because it makes you act without regard for your consequences. And we decided and we t- I taught you that that's called what? Coping. Coping equals how do you spell relief when you've been rejected? And we talked about some people spell it through addiction. Sometimes people, they... They cope through substance addiction. They drink, they smoke, uh, but other people, they, they're, they're addicted to people telling them how wonderful they are. Other people are addicted to opinions of people. And if somebody don't tell them that their hair look nice, they go home and in an utter depression. And you don't see them at church for four and five weeks. Some, 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 some people, some people. They cope with addiction. Some people, they cope, they cope through depression. Some people cope with a bad attitude. Some people cope with a negative self-image. Some people cope by being needy. They're leeches everywhere, and everybody they get around, they suck the life out of them. And they wonder, well, why does nobody want to be around me? Because every time they are around you, when they leave, they're dead. Because the entire time you were there, you sucked the life out of them. You didn't have nothing positive to say. You didn't have nothing uplifting to say. Only thing you wanted to do is talk about woe is me and woe is this and who shot John and all. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so they suck all the life out of you. And by the time you're done with them, you just, oh, man, just life is miserable for you. You were having an awesome, wonderful day, and by the time you get done dealing with them, all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, God, I just, Lord, just take me now. I don't even know. But what that is, is that's coping because there's been rejection there. And so a person becomes needy in order to counteract their rejection. So they become needy. So now that they feel like they're accepted, because now that you're having dialogue and interaction with them, they feel accepted. Even though they don't understand that by virtue of them feeling accepted, what they're doing is creating a rejection for you. Because now you are being repelled by what it is they're trying to do to be received. Get the CD, get the CD. Now watch this. Some people cope. Some people cope through promiscuity. They jump from bed to bed, from man to man, from woman to woman, from computer screen to computer screen. They, 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 they jump from, 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 from individual to individual in, in an order to try to feel this seed of rejection. And so, so often because people uh, confuse acceptance with, 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 promise, with sexual things, uh, they think that because they're being promiscuous for those few moments that, that they feel accepted. The problem is, is that it, what they're doing to be accepted isn't large enough to fill the gap. 
And so then what you have to do is it's not good to just have one woman. Now you got to go get another one because, because one couldn't fill it. And then after you get those two, you're sick of them because now you think they're going to reject you. So now you go get another one and another one and another one and another one and another And before you've done it, now, 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 now you've got a bunch of stuff that's been left inside of your soul. Because you thought it was just physical and God said you didn't understand there was a spiritual and a soul, mind, thoughts, will, and emotions. There was a transaction that was taking place. And while you thought you were laying down to get something, what you actually did was you left something there. Okay, I don't hear nobody saying nothing to me. I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to get you to understand the root. Because if we can deal with your root, we'll automatically fix your fruit. And as I did in part one, I want to say this because oftentimes when you mention something like promiscuity, everybody gets a very pontificating kind of a judgmental attitude of, well, I would never do that. Mm -hmm, but you do it in your mind, which the scripture says is just the same as doing it. It's quiet in this church. My, my, my. So then coping ends up being a functional dysfunction. And we all have functional dysfunction in our lives. I gave you an example in part one about how you, set, you may set your alarm clock to go to the gym at 5 a.m. in the morning. And every morning you hit the snooze button and you're not getting up at nobody's five. But yet the next day you still set it for the same time and go through the same functional dysfunction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, maybe for you, it's not that. Maybe as you keep going to the same fast food restaurant where you know they have bad service and bad food, but you keep going back thinking maybe this time it's going to be different. <laughs> Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to the same store and you go back. You better, it's going to be different this time. I believe it's going to be different. It becomes a functional dysfunction. A functional dysfunction is something that we do that we know that doesn't work, but we keep doing it as if it does work. So that's, that's what coping becomes. That's what coping becomes. That's what coping becomes. And so what we end up doing is, is in David's situation, David, a part of his coping was we talked about sexual addiction. Rejected people often attempt to fill their place of rejection with things that aren't big enough. Rejected people often attempt to fill their place of rejection with things that simply won't fit. I was watching, I love watching biographies. Uh, because I'm a believer, people say that the, the, greatest, the greatest teacher is experience. That's a lie. The greatest teacher is somebody else's experience. I don't have to go through all of that to learn the lesson. I can watch you go through it, and I can learn the lesson vicariously. Don't ever let anybody tell you, oh, you just got to go through it. No, no, I can just I can watch a video about how you went through it and figure it out. And, and I was watching a biography. Uh, I was watching a biography of David Ruffin. Anybody know David Ruffin? Anybody know David? Let me tell you, David Ruffin. David Ruffin is uh, uh, my girl. Y'all know the song "My Girl." I can't think of the words, otherwise I'd sing it for you. <laughs> something about it's cold outside, and month of May, and something. <laughs> What's the? <laughs> uh, 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 David Ruffin. Uh, walk away from love. Gonna walk away, gonna walk away. Do, 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 do. Okay, okay. So, 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 so I, I, I like, I like, I like that era. I like that era and that genre of music because it was real instruments and real people singing. They couldn't put it through a computer to make a person sound like they could sing. I mean, they really had to sing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They, they really had to sing. It was a real recording. Wasn't no overdubs. If you just messed it up, man, you just messed the song up. 
And I was watching, I was watching the biography of, of David Ruffin, and, and David Ruffin, his story is such that he died from, a, from an overdose of crack cocaine uh, uh, in, 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 a, uh, 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 in a crack house. And, and they took him to the hospital, and he was later declared dead. And David Ruffin, uh, he, his, his story is that he was a womanizer. He went from relationship to relationship. He, before he finished one, he'd be in a relationship with somebody else. He was famously in a relationship with uh, Tammy Terrell. And uh, uh, y'all, y'all know Tammy Terrell. What's she sing with Marvin? What was it? Ain't no mountain high enough. And y'all, y'all know Tammy. And so, and so, and, and he was abusive. I mean, he would beat these women to where the police would have to be called in. And, 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 and that was his story. He was addicted to crack cocaine. And, 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 and every time he would achieve some success, his arrogance and pride would get in the way. And it would end up destroying him. See, some people don't need an enemy. They have themselves. You didn't hear what I just said. Some people don't need the devil to do nothing because they're right there. Touch your neighbor say, don't be your own worst enemy. Tell them, don't. Don't, don't, don't be your own worst enemy. And so, and so what ends up taking place is that uh, um, David's life story is such that, that his, his mother and father weren't there. And he was raised uh, kind of in a pseudo fashion uh, by his grandfather and, and all of this. And it goes on through his life. And, and uh, in the biography, they talked about how he'd say to certain people, I'm jealous of you because you have a mother and you have a father. And, and I didn't have a father and I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And yet they would say, but David, you have all of this success. You're, you're, the, you're essentially the lead singer of the temptations. And, and, and you've got all of this success and, and you've got all of these things and you've got all these girls and you've got all this money. And, and, and why, would you, why would you want to be like us? And one of his wives revealed what, what the situation was. She said this. She said this. It was so profound. I about got out of my seat and started shouting. I was going to send her a preaching license because she was preaching. She said this. She said, she said, once I learned or learned about how David, uh, how David grew up, she said, I, I, I no longer resented him and I no longer hated him. She said, in fact, I felt sorry for him. This is what she said. Because no amount of drugs and no amount of money and no amount of fame could ever give him what his father didn't. What, what, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Oftentimes, when, when there's rejection on the inside, you'll try to fill it with things that simply will not and cannot work. And it becomes a functional dysfunction trying to accomplish something that no matter what you amass, no matter what you achieve, there is still this hole there. And that is the reason why you got to get a hold of a teaching like this. Because the only way that that hole can be completely filled is an understanding that you are loved by Jesus Christ. And when you understand that love, watch this, and accept that love, it changes everything. Did you hear what I just said? It's not enough to just know, for God so loved the world that he gave. But what does that love have to do with you? Touch the neighbor and say, you are loved. You are. Secondly, David became a womanizer with Bathsheba. He took advantage of her and often rejected people, take advantage of other people. So they become what they hate. They become what they hate. Rejected people end up becoming the bane of their own existence. They can't stand to be alone because they can't stand to be with themselves. Because when they're with themselves, they discover all of the uh, lascivious and scandalous things about themselves that it's much more convenient not to have to deal with. And so people that are rejected are people that often do not like to be alone, even if the people that they are around still make them feel alone. 
It's real quiet in here. Re rejected people don't want to be alone, but the truth of the matter is, is that they often find themselves in places where they're sitting in a group of people, yet their mind is still taking them to a place of isolation because rejection is taunting them all the time. It's, it's making fun of them all the time. It's playing through their mind. It's playing through, you better not get too close to these people. What if they reject you? You better not trust nobody. What if they reject you? Because rejection becomes what it hates. But then the third thing that David did, the third thing that David did is that David became a deceiver. And we discovered that he set Uriah up. This was his, this is one of his mighty men. This was one of David's right-hand men. These were the men that were faithful to David, even when David was fleeing from Saul. And David had a bunch of drama going on. The, his mighty men were a group of men that he knew he could count on. They were loyal men. And yet David ends up setting this loyal man who's not done anything wrong to him. He sets him up to be murdered. He would have rather lived with the guilt of being responsible for the man's death than have had, had to dealt with the rejection of the man for who David really was. He could have handled the rejection once and for all by having a simple and honest conversation with Uriah. The problem with rejection, you want to know the problem with rejection? Is rejection metamorphosizes and becomes pride. Just like a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, rejection turns into pride. Rejection in its full-blown stage is pride. Rejection in its full-blown stage is arrogance. So the problem why David couldn't have a conversation with Uriah is because he was too arrogant to. Well, I'm not, I don't have to say nothing to him. He, he put on his pants the way I put mine on. He, I'm the king. I don't have to say. His pride, watch this. What does the scripture say? Pride comes before fall. And later on when God is talking about this, there's several different debates among theologians, but uh, in one particular passage of scripture, the scripture says that God wouldn't allow David to accomplish his dream, which was to build God a temple because he had blood on his hands. So suffice it to say that David's act of not dealing with his seed of rejection, which turned into pride, cost him the thing he wanted the most. Which means if you don't handle rejection, the thing you want most in life, it will cost you. He wanted most in life to build God a house, to build him a temple. And God said, no, not happening. Not going to be able to do it. Because since he didn't handle rejection... It sat in that incubator for long enough to where when it busts out of that cocoon, it's flying pride. You ever met people that fly in pride? People that fly in pride are people that won't admit that they've flown in pride before. <laughs> so if you say, no, I don't know. Mm -hmm. The dangerous thing about pride is that normally it's not recognized until it's already cost you what it came to take. Most people don't recognize they have a pride problem until the thing that the pride came to take, it's taken. And then people will say, well, had I known then, what I know now. But I'm here to tell you, God sent me to stop by here tonight to tell somebody, don't you let pride cost you what it came to. You better tell pride, no, you don't have no place in my life. But to deal with your pride, we got to first deal with your rejection. Now, now look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. 
question becomes, Bishop, how should David have managed rejection? Because rejection is going to happen to us no matter what. If you've not been rejected, keep on living. So how should he have managed it? How should he have managed it? What should he have done? The first thing, now this is so simple, but hear me, hear me, Harvest. This is such a simple teaching, but the ramifications are profound. It is, it is often the simple things that we misappropriate and misapply. Let me give you an example. Uh, somebody said, Bishop, I'm really going through something. I said, well, did you pray? No. <laughs> it's a simple thing, but you, you misapplied it. You didn't do it. Somebody said, Bishop, I'm really struggling with the decision I'm supposed to make. Well, did you fast? No. The simple things often get misapplied, underapplied, not applied, not even thought about. So this is a simple teaching. So do not let the simplicity of it make you think, oh, I got that. Oh, I got that. I bet you David thought, oh, I got that. Until he finds himself by himself left to deal with him and God. First thing you got to do to manage rejection. Realize you are loved and accepted. And that's where we ended in part one, that you are loved and accepted. Say, I am loved and accepted. Say it again. I am loved and accepted. David's name actually meant beloved or accepted. Hear me. You are accepted by God. You are accepted by your bishop. You are accepted by your church. Here's the problem. Acceptance of you as a person doesn't mean acceptance of your actions. God was displeased with what David did, but he loved David. So often people see a rejection of their actions as rejection of them as a person. And they shout out rejection when it's really correction. And correction is only given to people that are loved. You want to know somebody that hates you? They never tell you when you're wrong. That person hates you. Because the scripture says everybody that God loves, he corrects, he chastens. Can I say it another way? He takes the belt out and has, handles business in accordance with all state, local, and federal laws. See, correction only is given to people that are loved. Did you hear what I just said? So stop looking at any kind of correction. Your boss tells you something. Somebody tells you something. Well, I, you know, stop looking at that as rejection. It is proof that you are loved. But your pride makes you, your pride makes you respond. Okay, I can see I need to dig here. Do I need to dig right here? Touch your neighbor and say, when you're corrected, that means you're accepted. You understand that? If you're never corrected, I'm here to tell you, it's because you're not even thought valuable enough to be corrected. Because correction carries a price. Not just for the individual being corrected, but for the individual giving the correction. Because then you've got to deal with all the extra that some people bring when they, when they are corrected. You know, anybody in management or supervisor positions, you ever, you ever corrected somebody and they fought with you the whole time? You said, listen, please don't put that over there. Well, listen, well, she's, Sheila put it over there. When Sheila put it over there, God, dog, man, just, I ain't talking about Sheila. I'm talking about you. 
and they fight you the whole time. So eventually what happens is then the corrector now refuses to correct because they don't have to deal with the extra. But now that they don't deal with the extra, now what's entering in, watch this, that's true rejection. Because love has left the building. Love don't live there no more. So touch your neighbor and say, when I'm wrong, get me. Touch the other one. Tell them and be serious about it. Say, when I'm wrong, please tell me. That's how I know you love me. Only somebody that hates you and is excited to see you fail wouldn't say nothing so they can see you fall off the cliff. But the real people in your life that you need to celebrate are the people that tell you, no, ma'am, that's not right. No, you need to change that. No, that's not right. Did y'all hear what I just said? <laughs> acceptance of you as a person doesn't always mean acceptance of your actions. And if your actions are rejected, don't take that as you're being rejected. It's a rejection of your actions. The Bible says the thing David did displeased the Lord. King James cleaned it up real nice. Can I tell you to you in, in, in the modern vernacular? God was not at all happy with what David did. Let me say it another way. God got a little ticked when he saw how David was acting. When God was like, look at all I've done for you, David. And now you're from the front like this, like, like you brand new. Let me say it another way. David, I've been better to you than you've been to yourself. So I dare you treat this man like that after... Oh, now you get what I'm saying. His actions displeased the Lord. God loved him. But God says, listen, I, 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 what you're doing, I'm not pleased with that. I love you, David. But this lascivious and this, this scandal that you got going on that's going to put the whole kingdom on the Maury show. I don't like that. I love you, but I don't like that. And because I love you so much, I need to bring you up out of that. Aren't you glad that you got a God that loves you too much to let you stay the way that you are? God says, come to me just as you are. But he says, don't you plan on staying that way? Because God says, I want to shape you. And when I want to make you and I want to prune you, I want to cut some stuff away from you. Because by the time God says he gets through with you, you're going to be better than when you came to him. So first, realize that you are what? Love and accepted. Second thing. The name Jesse means God's gift. And I told you this in part one. I want to go a little further here. Sometimes rejection is direction. Many times when, when certain doors close, it, it's because God says, I needed to close those because you was going to walk in there. And the problem is, y'all remember them games uh, they have, you know, some years ago where you open the door, but you open the door. What's that deal? Let's make a deal or something. Uh, but... Is that it? And you, and you go, then they had the doors. So just, just flow with my analogy. I don't know. Just, uh, remember them games where they had the doors and you go in the door, but what was behind the doors and what you really wanted? Just say yes. Somebody said no. Just say yes. See, you got that seed of rejection in you. Stop that. Yes. Give God a yes. Welcome team. Help him say yes. Now watch this. Now look here. Now, now, the thing is, sometimes God has to slam a door in your face so that you go to see the door that he's got for you. Because sometimes you'll try to exhaust every other option but God's option. 
And so sometimes God says, only thing, no, reject them. No, reject them. No, reject them. So over here, and you sitting here looking, I'm just trying to find this. I'm trying to find this. God says, it's right here. I'm just trying to find out what church I belong at. And God will shut every other door in your face. It's right here. It's quiet in this church. God will shut every other door. Because sometimes rejection is divine direction. God says, I shut all of that because I wanted it shut. And you, know, you know what rejection will do? Rejection will try. No, you're going to open for me. Open up. And it will call it Faith. The devil shut this door. I'm here to tell you, he doesn't have the power to shut doors. But then sometimes rejection is protection. Sometimes there are things that, that God is trying to protect you from. And sometimes what he'll do is when he's trying to protect you, he'll have somebody, watch this, he'll have somebody that's really rejecting you, but they'll think that you're rejecting them but he's trying to protect you. Get the tape. Get the tape. God says sometimes he'll just throw an oddball out there so that it's a bit befluddling, a bit confusing. But God says, I'm really trying to protect you, but I'll make them think that it's you rejecting them and it's really them rejecting you because I'm trying to protect you. So sometimes rejection is a gift. Last thing, I'm through. You see how simple this is? But now don't miss it because it's simple. See, if I was getting you Hebrew and Greek and we was going deep, y'all be tearing church up. But now this is real simple stuff. I understand that. But, but it's this simple stuff. Small foxes, the scripture says, spoil the vine. It ain't no big old fox. It ain't no werewolf that's messing up your house. There's a little fox over there in the corner that you ain't paying no attention to. Did you hear what I said? Wolfman ain't your problem. Your problem is that little thing you keep letting yourself do. Last thing, last thing. You are the eighth seed. David was the eighth son. He's the eighth seed. You are the eighth seed. Now, I could give this to you from a very theological, uh, a, a very precise theological construct in that David and Jesus Christ is in the genealogy of Jesus. You're being a born-again believer. And I'll join heirs with Jesus Christ sitting with him in heavenly places. And so by a theological construct, you're the eighth seed, literally. But, but I want to take it to another place. Can we go somewhere else with it? You're the eighth seed because you are the new beginning in your bloodline. Now, that's simple, but get it, y'all. Get it. You are the new beginning in your bloodline. Somebody saying, what's my bloodline? Your mama Nim, your daddy Nim, your uncle Nim, your crazy auntie Nim, everybody. Your bloodline. You are the new beginning. I, I, like, I, like, uh, I like horror movies. I like horror movies. Um, it, a lot of times because they're just funny. Especially those done circa 87, 88, 89, right in there. Because you know what to expect. And, and, of course, it's continued on, but, but right in there. And so on, on, my, uh, on my Netflix, uh, they, they released Jason uh, for Friday the 13th. Now, I already know what's getting ready to happen. 
because it's just every movie's the same. I know it's getting ready to happen. Uh, but, but, but it seems like there's no way they can ever kill Jason. So one time, a psychic is next to the water, and she's thinking real hard, and her psychic ability brings Jason back to life. The other time, there's a pole standing up in the middle of the coffin, and lightning just happens to strike that one place. And Jason, who's been dead for years, just gets up because the lightning struck twice at the same place. The other time, the kids are supposed to be getting ready to go on vacation. This is when he went to New York. The kids are supposed to get ready to go on vacation. And there's a bus right there in the middle of Crystal Lake. And they drop the anchor, and the anchor hits a power line, and the power line gets to the rock, and the rock connects to the chain, and the electricity flows through Jason. <laughs> Just the most bizarre stuff you could ever imagine. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody else? I know some of you are too spiritual to watch horror movies. That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. You, you do whatever you got to do. <laughs> but one of, them, one of them is like Friday 13, part 45. Said it was called A New Beginning. And, and it was where, I don't quite remember the storyline uh, in depth, but it was essentially where they found a new way to keep Jason alive for another seven movies. Because it was a new beginning. Now watch this. You are the new beginning in your bloodline. There's been a lot of death, destruction, generational curses, mess, foolishness, but God says you are the new beginning. I want to do with you what I couldn't do with them. Anybody believe what I'm saying? I want to do with you what they refuse to do. You are the new beginning. And I mean to tell you, just like the movie Jason, you might be knocked down a few times. You may even think that you're down for the count a few times. Your enemies may even think that they've won and you're dead. But I mean to tell you, just like Jason, baby, it's a new beginning. No matter what they throw against you, you are too legit to quit. No matter what comes against you, you can't die. You know what we do? We just multiply. Where is all the eighth seed at in this place? Somebody shout, I'm the eighth seed. I'm the new beginning. Everybody stand on your feet. I'm the new beginning. May look like I'm out for the count. I'm the new beginner. God will find a way, just like they did in those movies. God will find a way to make sure I come back. Hear me and hear me well. You may be in this place tonight, and that's where you feel. You feel like you're down and out for the count. You're feeling low, you're feeling down. You're the new beginning. God says, seven passed before you, but I've chosen you. You are not some average anybody. You are not some common somebody. You are the new beginning in your bloodline. What you're doing is going to affect up to three and four generations later. You're not just living your life for you. You're living your life for 400 years later of your bloodline. You are the eighth seed. 
You're beloved by God. You're accepted by God. That doesn't mean that everything that we do, he accepts. What that means is he says, I love you so much, I'm going to pull you out of the things. I'll give you grace to walk through the things. Never confuse him accepting you with him maybe not accepting an action. You are accepted. You are loved. And in this place tonight with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here. And you say, you know, this sounds great, but I've never actually given my life to Jesus Christ. I've never actually become a Christian. Guess what? Tonight's your night to give your life to him. He's waiting on you. See, it's, it's, it's not just him accepting you, but you've got to accept him. And so many people, they reject Jesus because they think Jesus is going to do them like how everybody else has. I'm here to tell you he's the friend that sticks closer than the brother. I'm here to tell you that when everybody else forsakes you, and you're sitting in that room by yourself trying to figure out what you're going to do, he's the one that'll still be right there and say, I didn't leave you. I'm still here. But maybe secondly, you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you've become a Christian, but tonight you need to rededicate yourself to him. You say, God, I, I've been off doing my own thing and I need to rededicate myself to you. I, I, I need to almost just re-accept you. I need to do what the scripture says. I need to, I need to go back to my first love, which is purity in Jesus. You're the new beginning. I said, you're the new beginning. I said, you're the new beginning. I said, you're the new beginning. If you need to become a Christian or rededicate yourself, today is going to be your new beginning. And on the count of three, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, wherever you're at, I want you to throw your hands up. And when you do, we're going to put something in that hand. And when you do, you're going to hear us celebrate and go absolutely flat foot crazy because we're excited about the decision you've made. One, two, three. If that's you, throw your hand up. If you need to become a believer or rededicate yourself to Jesus, hallelujah. If you're online, if you're online, just wave that hand. The Lord sees you if you're online. Now, I want everybody everywhere to say this. Say, Father... In the name of Jesus, I believe that God sent Jesus to die in my place because of this belief and because of this confession. If this is my first time praying this, I am born again. If I was far from you, I'm reconnected to you. I heard the word from the man of God. I am the new beginning in my bloodline. Just like David gave birth to Jesus, I'm giving birth to something great. I declare over the genealogy that comes after me that they shall be kings and priests. They shall be the head and not the tail. They shall be above and never beneath. I declare every generational curse ends with me. Right now, right here, in this moment, I'm the eighth seed. It's a new beginning in Jesus' name. Can I get all the eighth seed to just go crazy in here? Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. 
They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.